are we really having that broccoli mac cheese discussion? Oh, and they will go to court over it. Uh, uh, girl, you need to come to Washington. <laughs> they will totally go to court over it. I mean, organic broccoli is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Hello, David. Hello. How you doing? Doing good. How you like all this pollen? It's I like love a it. yellow wonderland it out is, here. It's just like somebody, I can't say it. <laughs> well, <laughs> there was a little bit of pollen for about a week or so. And then one day I went to go outside and everything was covered in yellow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't get snow here. We get pollen. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like you can just take it and wipe it off. Pollen is sticky for those that did not know. <laughs> it has to be, though. So can be annoyed with the pollen and be like, oh my gosh, you walk outside, your shoes turn yellow. You can't put your phone down outside for half a second or it gets pollen all over it. It's tracked in the house. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's bad. You surely to goodness cannot open the windows or leave the door open for long. But anyway, I said, you know what? I'm going to turn this into a positive. How did you do that? So now when I see the pollen, I'm like, look, that pollen is helping things grow. Okay. That's a good way to look at it. Because the flowers can't grow unless they're pollinated, right? That's correct. And we have this pretty wisteria in the woods, and it looks like little grape vines hanging. It's very, very pretty. And it <laughs> wouldn't be there without the pollen. How sweet. And we try not to think about the wisteria vines killing the trees. <laughs> so we try to find the good in that, the pretty purple wisteria. And it's also the time that my pretty purple trees bloom. What are those called? They're called redbud trees. But they're purple? Yeah. Or Judas trees. Supposedly, it's the tree that Judas was hung on in the Bible. Mm, Okay. But some people say that's not true because it's a really skinny tree. (laughs) I don't know. I just call them pretty purple trees. But you only see them for like four, five weeks, maybe. So I tried to tell Jackson to go outside. And I was going to pay him, y'all, to vacuum the pollen. And you have to use like the shop vac. You can't use a regular vacuum cleaner because the pollen will like tear up the motor or, or something. Just, just to be clear, where you want him to vacuum the pollen, not like in the yard. Right. On the back porch. <laughs> okay. You didn't specify oh, that. Yeah. I wanted to go vacuum <laughs> the pollen out of the yard. <laughs> and he's like, nah, I'm good. No, he's he don't care. He's not going to do it. He's like, why don't you just wait? It'll be gone. I'm like, where's it going to go? It just disappears. Well, I started thinking about that, though. It does seem to disappear, David. No, I guess either washed away or tracked away. Huh. Most likely tracked away, like tracked into the house. Well, I'm going to take something and put it over top of a spot of pollen, and I'm going to go check it after all the pollen's gone and see if the pollen's still there. Okay. You can do that. We'll see. But anyway, so those of you that live in places that are getting pollinated right now, welcome to your yellow winter wonderland <laughs> or yellow spring, spring summer wonderland. land. Spring Wonderland. Spring Summerland. <laughs> okay, I'll get it right in a minute. Yeah, so hopefully it'll be gone soon. Yeah, because like today, I feel like I can't breathe. Well, just think of it. It's like you're driving a new car, the new yellow car. Yeah. <laughs> There's no need to wash your car. So I got my car the other day, closed the door, and it's like, poof. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so David, I'm sure you remember this interview. I'll have to refresh your memory. It was with an attorney. Do-do-do-do. I do not recall. Elise? 
I do not recall. You do? <laughs> do you not? <laughs> I do not recall speaking with an attorney. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. So, Elise is an attorney in Washington. State? Yeah. Seattle, Washington. Okay. So, the state, the state of Seattle. State of Seattle. No, it's not. <laughs> I knew you was going to say. You followed me right into it. <laughs> Elise is a family law attorney in Seattle, Washington. Okay. Okay. It was great talking to her. She has a lot of the same qualms about the family court system that I do. Mm-hmm. The difference is she can go in there and fight. Maybe you should do that. You know, I thought about that years ago. I'm not talking about being an attorney. Just go in there and start fighting. Oh. <laughs> How much bond money you got? Not enough for you. I've seen your mouth in action. <laughs> David. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah, you should have been an attorney for sure. You think? Oh, yeah. You love to argue. No, I don't like to argue. Okay. I like to debate. You're good at arguing. How about that? That's better. <laughs> you're good at debating. Yeah. My daddy always told me I should be a lawyer, even when I was a little baby. Because mm-hmm, you argue with him all the time. Yeah. No, it was my mama. Oh, I'm sorry. You debated with her. Yeah. Well, mama, you know it wasn't my daddy. I'd be like, whatever you say, daddy. Mm-hmm. Mama said, eat this. I'm like, why? What is it? What's it got in it? Too much sodium trying to kill me. That's what you do to me. That's what my son says. I know. <laughs> so Elise is a stepmom herself. She talks about how her kids are off the chain versus her stepkids. Her husband is ex-military, and so was his ex. So the bio parents of the stepkids were both military. So those kids have walked a tightrope, y'all. And Elise is an attorney. So her kids are off the chain, and they're going to argue about stuff. (laughs) She's raised them to argue. I mean, debate. Yes. Yes, debate, David, debate. (laughs) One of her sons wrote a blog about being a stepkid. I'm going to have to get that link and post it in the show notes because it was about how thankful this child was that he had an awesome stepdad. Go ahead, David. I think you should have Jackson write a blog post about his awesome stepdad. Do you remember when we went to Carowinds and all the kids got those dog tags mm-hmm. and Jackson said, my stepdad rocks? Yes, I do recall. Did you pay him to do that? No, I did not. Well, it's like yesterday we were talking about something and... And he was like, I would never do that. And I said, yeah, besides, not with a cool stepdad like me. And he was like, that, that's right. All right. We're getting Jackson on here to do a podcast. He said he would. <laughs> and that'll only leave one kid that hasn't done one. Have to work on that. I don't know if we want Jackson on here. Why? I'll plead the fifth on that. <laughs> For all you attorney people. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing that's very interesting is Elise and her husband had already decided to get divorced. But then Hurricane Katrina hit, Hmm. and they had to postpone their divorce, continue to live together, get their license for other states so they could practice law, retake the bar, all this stuff. Wow. Yeah. And they still ended up getting divorced. And you still don't remember all this? Yeah, I remember. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and they still ended up getting divorced. Yeah, that. see, I just don't know, man. I can imagine going through my divorce and then something, some natural disaster happened. I think I'd go through it anyway. I'm like, I don't care how this cunt turns out. I am not staying here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) One thing Elise talks about is how to co-parent like CEOs. And I like that she said this, even though my ex and I can't co-parent, because oftentimes I talk about how you can relate your blended family to a job. 
you're hired as a customer service rep, you don't go plop your butt down in the CEO's office and try to take control. Who's the CEO? David. Hmm? I'm talking about... (laughs) I just can't. I can't, y'all. So y'all just get to listen to this because I'm not even going to try to work with David on this anymore. I'm done. Are you not showing me? I'm not showing you. I'm done. (laughs) All right, folks. And here's a word about the Nacho Kids Academy, where you can learn the fine skills of nachoing, just as you've seen in action today <laughs> from Lori. <laughs> there is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle step family challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit NachoKidsAcademy.com and sign up today to join other step parents who are seeing the life-changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's NachoKidsAcademy.com. Today, we have Elise Bowie. Hey, Elise, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being a guest. Now, let's go ahead and tell everybody, you are an attorney. Oh, I am. <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. You're an attorney. I know it sounded really ominous. <laughs> oh, I usually tell people I'm not an attorney, but I do play one. <laughs> <laughs> do you listen to our podcast? I do. Darn. <laughs> you know, I don't care too much for the family court system then, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. Neither do I. Yeah. Oh, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> Girl, we do. Because we're going to revamp it and see, you can help me do that because you're already in that niche, you know? Oh, does the court need revamping? I mean, I have this whole big, hairy, audacious goal to literally change how family law is practiced forever. I mean, the court is not the place for families. I mean, there is no such thing as a win or a loss. I mean, it's all just a nightmare for the kids. Mm -hmm. It's a nightmare for everybody. Oh, it is. Yes, it is really, really not the place. I mean, but that's a bigger conversation around. I mean, attorneys need to realize that and we need to be steering our clients into alternative dispute resolution, whether it's mediation, collaborative law. I mean, sometimes just sitting in a room and, you know, trying to hash out things like adults. I mean, well, I've got a question for you. So I'm just going to go ahead and lay it out on the table. Yeah. I had to go to mediation recently. And basically, one of the biggest things that we still had to resolve was attorney's fees. Of course, I believe with 100% of my heart that I should be awarded all attorney's fees because the event which caused us to go back to court had nothing to do with me or my behavior. Follow? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So you go to mediation and you sit there. And I already think that going to, through the court systems like going to the casino, well, so is mediation apparently because you sit there and they're like, well... I have seen judge so-and-so do this, or I have seen judge so-and-so do this. Kind of like it's the luck of the draw and depending on which way the wind's going to blow. Why is that? Why is it not? I know you don't know this, but why is it not black and white? If you do something stupid as a parent and the other person has to take you back to court, you should pay their attorney's fees as long as they are reasonable and weren't jacked up on my end for me being 
crazy, you know, I mean, right. the realistic reasons that you are awarded attorney's fees. I mean, they've got guidelines. I mean, it, it's a great question, but I mean, it is, it is here in Washington, it's a total luck of the draw. I mean, I tell clients all the time, like, could we ask for attorney's fees? A hundred percent. Like, does this fact pattern fall within the statute where we could get attorney's fees? Absolutely. Do I see judges all the time kick the can down the street and say things like, well, I'm not going to order fees at this time. I'll leave that up to the trial judge. Well, 99% of the time, there's never a trial. So that means you just didn't get attorney's fees. Or worse yet, where a judge orders attorney's fees and you never get them paid. I mean, the person just never pays them. And you can do all the, take all the steps needed to get it paid but it never gets paid. And so, I mean, to be fair to mediators, I think they're right to tell people that it, it's kind of a crapshoot. I mean, let's be honest. And I think for anyone to go into court thinking they're definitely going to get their attorney's fees paid is, I mean, bad, bad planning. And if an attorney tells somebody that, which I do think a lot of attorneys will tell people, oh yeah, you know, you hire me, you know, we'll go in, we'll file this, we'll get attorney's fees, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think they're just selling their clients a bunch of BS. Right. And I agree with that. I guess it's just frustrating. And you know what you deal with it all the time. Well, you know, another issue that I find, I mean, frustrating is when I see parents who like, let's say somebody decides they want to move. And, you know, this happens a lot. Seattle is like super, you know, people are coming and going, doing all this tech stuff. And so somebody's like, oh, psych, I'm now moving, you know, I mean, to Japan, you know, I'm moving with Microsoft to this, you know, foreign thing. And so now we're looking at a relocation and we're looking at a parenting plan and the court is going to order transportation to be shared equally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, there's a parent who's here, lived here their whole lives. They never, you know, thought somebody was going to Japan. And now they're flying, you know, four kids internationally and sharing those costs. I mean, that's a lot. Right. But I mean, and the court does that all the time. Like in my mind, it should depend, you know, like you should determine why is the person relocating and what are the financial implications to each home? But I mean, if I had my druthers, we would look at all of this a lot more nuanced rather than just, okay, this is what seems good for everybody. So we're going to say this because I mean, it really doesn't work for everybody. Right. Exactly. Now you also mentioned the parenting plans. We know someone that lived in Hong Kong, moved to Australia, the bio mom had agreed to the parenting plan. It was all set. The dad was going to get about as much time. Oh, the kids lived in China? Yeah, the kids oh, lived yeah, in China. And so they had all these arrangements made and all this stuff. Well, bio mom backs out on it at the last minute. Ooh. It's bad enough trying to deal with the family court system within the states. Gosh. And you're trying to go through Australia, Hong Kong, all that stuff. It's a mess. And then it actually goes back to another country to where it originated from. Oh, wow. I can't even imagine. A lot of times we'll see in Facebook groups where one parent will take the kid without the other parent's knowledge. And I don't know about the laws in your state, but here, that's not kidnapping because there's no court order stating who has custody. 
Oh, and you mean in that they don't have a parenting plan when this is occurring. Right. So say they split up before they go to court and get a parenting plan. One person takes off two states away with the kid. Yeah, that that happens here, too. And we I don't know that it's, quote unquote, kidnapping, but I mean, we can go into court. I mean, we've had cases in our office really recently where we then go into court on an emergency order and try to have the children brought back, Mm -hmm. you know, so that a parenting plan can be adjudicated. And I mean, it's sometimes successful, sometimes not. I mean, we recently had a situation where somebody, the mom took the kids to Texas. And once the two judges, the Texas judge and the Washington judge got together, it's called this UCCJEA conference. And it's, you know, about kind of jockeying to determine which court should take the case. And in that case, the Washington court acquiesced and said, okay, the Texas court gets the case. And so that meant that, you know, the Texas court was going to decide whether the kids had to come back here to Washington or not. And I mean, and again, that's a crapshoot because you're looking at laws that are different in every state. And I mean, I hate to use the word bias, but I mean, you know, some states have a a bias in favor of moms, you know, whereas other states might not. Like, you know, and it allows people to do what we call jurisdiction shopping, you know, to try to get what they want. And I mean, that's not ideal for children, you know, and it's not ideal for families to not have more certainty around what is to be expected in family law. So what type of things do you typically see people coming to you for? Because you, I think you have a unique viewpoint in that you're not just trying to shuffle people through the system and get paid. I mean, you're really trying to make a difference and uh, and change some things. Well, I think in this, you know, the world of especially post-divorce, you know, when we're dealing with after parenting plans have been put in place and we're dealing with post-dissolution issues, as you both know, I mean, a lot of times those are step-family related issues where something is happening. I mean, it could be in the one of the couple's initial divorces, or it could be stuff that's going on in the blended family home. And, and people are coming in either to modify a parenting plan. You might have a bio mom saying, my child should not be with dad and the new stepmom because the stepmom is treating my child horribly or you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so dealing with all those step family dynamics and trying to help people really understand step family dynamics. I think, I mean, for me as both a lawyer, as a mom of four, as a stepmom of two, you know, so this blended family of six kids, really understanding the dynamics and trying to be emotionally intelligent in dealing with those dynamics, I think helps people so much because then they can work their problems out in a way that they're not looking to the court or looking to start a war about nothing. Because sometimes it's stuff like stepmom feeds my kids mac and cheese and I'm a organic broccoli kind of bio mom. And it's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) are we really having that broccoli mac cheese discussion? Oh, and they will go to court over it. Uh, uh, girl, you need to come to Washington. They will totally go to court over it. I mean, organic broccoli is a real thing. (laughs) I mean. It still causes gas, I'm sure. David. It is diehard. (laughs) I mean, there are, yeah, it's intense. I mean, and I think me growing up and being raised in New Orleans my whole life till Hurricane Katrina, I mean, I have this very kind of, I don't know, 
just Southern, um, I don't know how to call it, but we definitely have a, oh, kids will survive kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. Mm, Suck it up, buttercup. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so when I came out here and I do a lot of work as a guardian ad litem. And so, you know, I get appointed in these high conflict cases. And I mean, I'll sit down and talk to a parent initially. And sometimes, I mean, for a half an hour, they're talking to me about like food. And I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is what you are in court fighting about? Would it be wrong for you to hand them a Nacho Kids Academy pamphlet at that time? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, oh my gosh. I had a conversation with somebody the other day who was going on and on about her stepson and what she needed to do and all this. And I was like, you know, have you considered getting bio dad to step up and parent his own son and maybe let you back out and then life would go a lot better? And she was like, well, he doesn't really do that. And I'm thinking, well... That might be part of your problem. Yeah, you need to move out of the way, lady, so he can. Exactly. Yeah. Just like. Two people can't exist in the same space. I mean, exactly. And to help people understand, though, that you can be like just using a mom as an example, but a stepmom can be a huge asset to stepchildren. But that doesn't mean you need to be the parent. You know, you can be the stepmom. Preach, girl. And that looks different. And I mean, let the dad be the dad and let the bio mom be the bio mom. And But it's such a dynamic trying to get people to understand that whole triangulation and how the kids are feeling. And depending on the circumstances of how the family busted apart initially is super important. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I spend a lot of time, there's a book that I recommend to a lot of people. It's called the step family handbook Okay, written by an author. She actually is out here in the Washington area. Her name is Karen Bunnell. And I find her book to be really helpful in just digging down into those step family dynamics. Cause so much of the time people find themselves in these wars and they don't know how they got there. They're like, well, I was just blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, yeah, we got to stop that. You know, like, you don't need to do that. And they don't realize. And and they think they're being so helpful so much of the time. Like they'll take over writing all the emails. I'm like, I promise the ex-wife doesn't read want to read emails from the new wife. Like that's just not a thing. But trying to help people understand how that's all playing out and and how it's impacting the children and thus impacting the new family. I mean, and y'all know, I mean, you can end up with problems left and right. Yes, ma'am. I have to say, when you started off your sentence and said stepmoms can be an ass, I was like, ooh. (laughs) Where's she going? (laughs) I mean, I agree with you, but I was like, ooh, Lord, calm down, Elise, calm down. (laughs) Mm, That's funny. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But, yeah, there are high-conflict stepmoms. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, the other part that's hard for them is, you know, you have people like us that come along and we say things like you you just brought out, which is let the bio parent parent and you step back and all this kind of stuff. And it, it sounds like it should be common knowledge. But then at the same time, you have these same step parents who have friends and families and some other blog posts and Facebook groups all telling them something completely opposite. Like, no, you need to treat it just like a bio family or a nuclear family. And you need to treat the kids like your own and love them like your own. And everything has to be fair. And And you're evil if you don't. 
Yeah, it's, you know, they paint this completely different picture that then you try to realize that in your family and you're like, why is this not working? I'm trying to have the picture that everybody keeps painting for me and it's just not going to work for a lot of people. I mean, let's be serious. I mean, kids are not all that pleasant all the time. You know what I mean? They're kind of difficult. What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, even your own children. And so you want to tell me I'm supposed to like really love the others the exact same? I mean, one, they probably don't want that because I'm going to be like riding them. Like, do this better. What are you doing? Exactly. And I just, I mean, I, I just don't think that's real. Yeah. I don't think it's real. I mean, I have to say like my husband, so he is a stepfather to four children, three boys and a girl. And to tell you that my children are nothing like his children, he and his ex-wife, they're both military. I mean, they raise these like obedient, perfect daughters. They make straight A's just because that's the right thing to do. You know, they're like these perfect girls. <laughs> yeah, I, I can I can just visualize Elisa's face when she's saying, that's these perfect girls. No, <laughs> they are. They are perfect. She <laughs> become my four kids. They, My ex-husband's a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. We raise kids to like rebel against rules. Like don't listen to rules <laughs> if they don't make any sense. You need to question authority, <laughs> like illogical thing. I mean, so poor my Doug, my husband, he gets these four kids and is like, whoa, what did you do to these guys? <laughs> I was like, they're free thinkers. I mean, they are no robots. Like yeah. They are out there thinking and questioning. And I mean, I could just see it on Doug's face. Like we'd have these conversations and he would just look like, oh my gosh, these kids are wild. And, but really quickly, he came to appreciate like, this is how they've been raised. Like these are all smart kids. They do look at things differently. They ask more questions. They they do question authority more for sure. But he was like, this is what works for Elise. Like this is how her mind works. So who am I to tell her this is all wrong? I mean, he was like, you've got a great relationship with your kids. Things are going well. I'm going to just like stay out of all that. And if you need something from me, ask, but otherwise I'm not going to be up in your business, even though I would do it different. And I mean, that was huge for me and my kids, Right? like have somebody respect how I was dealing with them. And now we have pretty adult. I mean, we only have one at home. He's a senior in high school. And like now, I mean, I have my oldest son who was probably my most rebellious of the bunch. I mean, he wrote a blog for my firm, which I mean, I still to this day, like if I read it, I tear up. He talks about like how much he learned from his stepfather because his stepfather respected our relationship and didn't come in with an iron fist about things. And his stepfather let us all be peaceful. And to have my kind of rebellious son see the value in that, I was like, well, that was a win. Definitely. And I need a link to that blog. Yeah, yeah I'll be happy to send it to you because it really is very poignant. I mean, to read from this young adult boy about what he learned from his stepfather, watching him be respectful, kind, giving us all space. I mean, it was pretty impressive. Yeah, that's a beautiful example of what we often tell people about the people that you're dealing with in your blended family, which is just because it's different doesn't make it wrong. And, and appreciate the difference instead of 
pushing back against it. Instead of saying, well, I would parent this way. You should parent this way. It's working for me. It should work for you. And the funny thing is, you know, depending on the ages of the kids, in some cases, these people are stepping into kids' lives when they're eight, nine, 10 years old. And the bio parent, you know, has got eight or nine, 10 years of knowledge about that person ahead of you, not including the relationship. <laughs> and you're and you're trying to tell them how to do it. Exactly. I mean, that is exactly right. Well, and I have been able to see this amazing thing. Like I had another son who he was kind of struggling in high school and we decided that, okay, we were going to look at boarding schools. I won't bore you with the whole gory detail of what got us there. But he said, he goes, mom, I really want Doug to take me to look at boarding schools. And that was really hard for me to hear initially, but obviously I didn't let him know that. I was just like, all right, if this is kind of a male bonding thing, like go for it. And so they went out and they looked at boarding schools and they found a school for him to go. And they were both like really on board with it. And somebody asked me, they're like, you know, Elise, how did that really make you feel? And I was like, initially, it kind of made me sad. I said, but then in reality, I was like, how, what more can I ask for to have my 17 year old son look to his stepdad for support in making a big decision like that? I was like, that was awesome. I mean, and they forged their own little relationship and Doug didn't have to step in and like tell us how to do something or how to, how we were doing it wrong. I mean, he only has provided support and respect. And I mean, it's been kind of amazing. I think that's great. Way to go, Doug. Yeah. Woo, Doug. Proud of you, Doug. Doug is awesome. <laughs> well, Lisa, I want to go back for a second because we didn't talk about your background a whole lot. You were adopted. Yep. And how long ago did you get remarried? You were married before, had kids, split up, and got remarried. So tell us a little bit about that part. Yep. Well, I was married for 18 years, had four kids. We lived in New Orleans, did our whole Hurricane Katrina evacuation routine. And um, and we actually were going to need to be divorced before the hurricane hit. So like right before the hurricane hit, that's when we were talking about it. Then the hurricane hit. So obviously we kind of just had to put that on hold and put our noses down, evacuate, get, we both were attorneys. We had to get relicensed in other states, kind of like stabilize our family. We moved to Minnesota and we lived there and as a family unit. And then after about four years in Minnesota, we were like, okay, everything's copacetic. Like we can divorce now. So we divorced. And then my new husband, Doug, his family, we knew his family. They used to live down the street from us in New Orleans. And so when we both found out that we had divorced, then we started seeing each other. And then I moved out to Seattle and with my kids and Doug was out here with his kids because his kids were older. And so he had like a, she was going to be a senior in high school. So, you know, she couldn't move. And so I moved out here with my kids and, and then my ex came out here as well. And obviously Doug's ex is out here as well. So we are all out here and, and the kids are now all scattered around and we do just have the one, my youngest is at home still. And so how long have you been blending? For 11, well, 10 years. Okay. Ten years. Yeah. How old were the kids when y you and Doug got married? They were eight, 11, 13, 15, 16, and 18. Holy moly. <laughs> okay. I know, wasn't that some fun teenagers? <laughs> yeah. 
I got well. First of all, I got a question, but I have another question. <laughs> you got a question about your question? I got, I got a question that's quick to answer, and another that may not be. So the quick question: We were talking with a gentleman the other day, and we got on the topic of uh, your second marriage and looking for um, looking to outlast the first marriage. And and so we we were talking about how you're looking for like if you're married for 12 years or something, you're like, I can't wait to year 13. So I can say I lasted longer than the last person. <laughs> Do y'all ever talk about that or have that feeling? I have not. No. Um, I, I mean, to be honest, I mean, Doug and his ex-wife were married, I think for 28 years. Oh yeah. So, I mean, if we outlast them, I'm going to be like good on us. But um, <laughs> I mean, no, we don't. And I mean, I was married for 18 years. So we both had pretty long marriages. We don't talk about it. That never comes up. But I, I also, I wholly expect we'll be married forever. You know, like I feel like Doug and I have been through many a war together. Yeah. All the things, blending a family, moving, dealing with the ups and downs of all that. I mean, I feel like it has been a much more, I don't know, almost like in-depth kind of situation than my first marriage. Right. So this is not necessarily a blended question. This is my second question. But how was it to be married to somebody for an additional four years beyond the date you thought you were going to divorce this person? And and so you're with them four years. You both know that you're going to get divorced. You're planning on it, but you're still having to play happy family, maybe? I can answer that question. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I'm sure you can. We did our best to do that. I mean, you know, to be honest, I think we failed in many ways and we probably should have maybe split up earlier because I think the children saw a conflict that if I knew what I knew now, then I probably would have done that differently. I mean, I definitely think for the most part, we did okay. We were doing our best with the information we had. I think we financially, it was hard to go through Hurricane Katrina because as lawyers, it's not like you just pick up and move to a new state and start a new job. With a law license in Louisiana, you don't have reciprocity anywhere. So you've got to actually go take a bar exam again. And a bar exam is not something you just literally like call up and say, oh, can I take a bar exam tomorrow? You have to fill out an application and it's usually about a nine month period where they've got to process your application. They do all this character and assessment and they do massive background things and it's a pretty big, long process. And then the exam itself is only offered two times a year. So if you don't get your application in for timely, I mean, you're going to be waiting a whole nother six months to even begin the whole process. So it takes a long time to get relicensed. And so both of us had to go through that process. And we knew we wanted to be more financially secure to get divorced. And so that was, you know, one of the things that was driving us was so that I could get relicensed when we moved to Minnesota and um, and get established and be able to support my kids. Because I had been homeschooling and taking care of my kids as a stay-at-home mom for a decade when we actually split up. Okay. Uh, question, is the bar exam multiple choice? Well, that depends, girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's always all of the above. Yeah. In Louisiana, no. It's all essay. Three days, all essay. In Washington, gosh, I don't remember. I feel like Washington did not have multiple choice when I took it. I do think that's changed though. Minnesota does what's called the, they have a, a combined thing. So part of it is multiple choice and part is essay. 
And it is crazy, but I mean, now having, I've taken three bar exams, passed all three. I mean, that multiple choice is brutal. (laughs) Give me an essay any day. Like I can write my way out of anything. (laughs) Make me pick one little letter. I was like, ooh, this is tough. So. Yeah. I mean, I joke that, you know, for kicks, I'm going to go take the California bar just because it's supposedly so hard. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to get licensed there just for fun. Do it. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Just get licensed everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And then you could be the Nacho Kids legal representation. Exactly. All around the whole country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll just license you. (laughs) (laughs) If only it were that simple, David, we'll, we'll, you would be calling me Judge Lori. We'll come up, I feel like you are Judge Lori a lot of times. <laughs> and judge and jury and executioner. <laughs> That's me. Uh, I don't know how to slide into this topic. Because you've got on here, one of the topic ideas was how to co-parent like co-CEOs. Yep. That is something that is very important to me. Trying to teach parents to kind of get out of their spouse brain And let's put on your co-CEO brains and let's figure out how to maximize your children. So, Elise, you mentioned how to co-parent like co-CEOs. What are you talking about? What are you talking about, Willis? Well, that's my little coined term that I came up with because I think of it as, I mean, you know how it is. I mean, when you get divorced, you've got this spouse brain. I mean, you're irritating each other. You're both like, I mean, can do those digs. And I mean, you can get that you know, your ex riled up in a nanosecond with some a tiny bit of effort. And um, what I find in dealing with high conflict families is if I can get people to get out of that and let go of that spouse brain and try to think of themselves as co-CEOs of this child so that they are bringing their best selves to parenting and they are trying together to maximize their child. Because I do find that if With the right help, most people can come to an agreement that they do love their child and they want what's best for their child. They don't always agree on what that is, but that is what they want deep down is they want their child to succeed. And so when I'm working with families, if I can help them really get to that and understand that that is what they both want, and then we start analyzing what are the parent's strengths. Because if you've got a parent who's, let's say, super strong in academics, and they're all organized, and they love science projects, and they're emailing the school and doing all that, well, that's just wonderful. (laughs) Let that parent do that. Let's let them be in that strength. Whereas sometimes you get parents and they'll be like, well, I need to be involved in this, and I need to do this. And it's like, well, do you really? Like, is this, you know, your jam? Are you good at this? Or is this just, you're just fighting to fight? And I find that parents often do have complementary strengths. I mean, that old saying about opposites attract. I mean, many times those of us get married to what we're, we don't see in ourselves. And so when we can allow co-parents to come into those strengths, own their strengths, and then let them play out in their co-parenting relationship, the children, I think, benefit greatly. I mean, they're not embroiled in conflict. The children are getting the best of each of their parents. I mean, I know there's this whole thing out in the world about, well, that parent's like a Disneyland dad or whatever, and that makes people mad. 
I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, if my ex wants to be a Disneyland dad and he wants to take the kids on these great sailing adventures or hiking or whatever, I'm all for it. I'm like, great. Awesome. Now I I don't have to pay for that. (laughs) And I'm like, go for it. Have a wonderful time. And I, I just think that it's better to accept each other's strengths and really think about like you would if you were running a business. I mean, it's that whole idea of having kind of like a visionary in a business and a second in command. I mean, those two people work hand in hand. You think of like the two people who started McDonald's. I mean, you know, there's the there's all kinds of examples of these two people like Bill Gates and Paul Allen with Microsoft. Like they had opposite strengths, but they came together and created this amazing business. And I think the same thing for children. I mean, you can come together and maximize your child. I mean, it takes some people who want to not be in conflict and at least are willing to see the value in not having conflict. And I do think one of the parents has to be pretty emotionally intelligent because you're going to need to to understand when you're being dragged into the conflict and not go there. You need at least one person who's able to not go there. Right. My ex and I, we cannot co-parent. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not going to happen. So we parallel parent, which means that I do my parenting, he does his parenting, and unless it's an endangerment issue with a child, then it's not discussed. Yeah. It works for us. Totally. But I also know the younger my son was, the harder it was because when we did have to communicate, there was that friction. Yeah. And so my son felt it. We all felt it. Yeah, we all felt it. (laughs) So it's great if you can have people that can get over the hate for their ex being stronger than the importance of their child. Yep. I, I mean, I ask people really frankly a lot. I'm like, do you hate your ex more than you love your child? And I'm like, it literally just comes down to that so many times. Anybody ever say yes? Yo, for sure. <laughs> wow. For sure. Are you saying wow because somebody said yes or because I asked? I'm saying wow because somebody said yes. Well, I can't, you know, my ex would say it. I can't I can't fathom disliking somebody more than I love my kids. Oh, but there are definitely people who do, I think. I mean, I've definitely had people say yes. I mean, because like I would die for my kids because I love them. I would not die to have someone I hate right. experience pain, <laughs> for example. No, I hear you. But I do think it's a real thing. And I think some people have a really hard time getting over that and being able to move on. I I mean, I think it is so complicated, though, because I think a lot of times that that person who does hate their ex more than they love their child, whether it's figurative or literal, that person is dealing with something way bigger than just whatever the split up is. There's some deep seated stuff there whether it's characterological defects, there's substance abuse, personality disorder, some type of unresolved trauma, like there's real stuff going on. And I, and it's hard, but I mean, I think it's so important for the recipient of all that junk to really put themselves or try to in the shoes of that other person to try to understand what are they dealing with on that side. And try to get some, ideally some empathy, but if you can't get to empathy, at least some understanding, because I think then it helps that person who's the recipient realize it's not about them. 
It's about the other person. And so then they cannot get heated back when stuff is coming their way. They're able to just kind of duck and cover and just duck and let it fly right on over them because they're like, this isn't about me. And they're able to handle it in a way that is more emotionally intelligent and thus better for the kid. But do you see there being a, a really kind of lopsided understanding of that? Like, for example, maybe one person is like, okay, yeah, I get it. I understand. And I agree with that. So let's let's proceed and do what's best for the kids. And then you may have the other side kind of saying the same thing, but really what they're going, what they're thinking is I'm taking advantage of the situation. Yeah. And because the person, the other person is lowering their guard and all that, I'm just going to use it to my advantage. You see that? I do. I do sometimes see that for sure. Um, I mean, And this is where, like we talked about at the beginning, I mean, I personally think the whole family court thing of like win, lose it, we, we lose track of what we're trying to accomplish. And what I mean is, I mean, there are many things that have happened. Like I know for myself personally, things with my own ex where, I mean, I, could I go fight him in court and win on certain things? Definitely. Do I think that would have been right for my children? Nah. And so did I do it? No way. Well, your attorney's fees would be less. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) But I mean, I truly believe like you must, I, I just believe when you're divorced or divorcing, every decision you make about the fight, you have to ask yourself, how is this impacting my co parenting relationship? Like, what will this fight do to that? And what will this fight do to my children? And, and I mean, again, like when I have clients and they want to, they call and they want to file a contempt motion and they're angry about some, I mean, whether it's child support or it could be anything, the person's always late to transitions. It could be all kinds of things. I always ask them, I'm like, what is the impact of this on your children? And so much of the time, People, they're like, I don't know. I'm like, well, then hang up. I'm not talking to you. Think about (laughs) like, call Mm -hmm. me back when you have an answer. We are not discussing court action until you can tell me that you've thought it through. Yeah. Do an assessment. You have to, because your kid is counting, I think, on us parents to not psychologically harm them. And every time we're dragging them into conflict, we are psychologically harming them. And I I obviously do not mean that people are doing this intentionally. It's so much of the time, just accidentally, people don't even realize that they're causing the damage they're causing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, unfortunately, you know, as a guardian ad litem and somebody who gets involved in these very high conflict situations, I mean, I see children who have been in conflict, I mean, for a decade. And I mean, they are a mess. Like these children have led such a traumatic childhood because of the conflict that they'll never be all the way healed. And to me, that's just a travesty. Hmm. It is. And I think like Lori said, you know how sometimes even your kid senses it, even when it's not necessarily happening right in front of them, but they can sense things and it's destabilizing to them. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason why some, um, Sometimes Lori's son is like, why does my mom have these mood swings? I'm like, well, because she was happy until she read that email from your dad's lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) That's why she has mood swings. Yeah. 
And that's so, I mean, you know, that's so sad and so hard for a kid because obviously the kids shouldn't know about litigation. That's a good, that's a good point. And I think Lori's about to take us down this path. Yeah, I am. Go ahead. I'll let you do it. Jackson's life has been dictated by a court order since the day he was born. Right. So he does know that. And he's always known that. When he was little and three years old and said, I don't want to go to my daddy's. I'm like, sorry, you have to. And he's like, you just don't love me. You're making me go. And I'm like, no, there's a court order that the judge said that you go to your daddy's such and such days and you stay with mommy such and such days. And I felt like right or wrong that that was the best way to handle that because I didn't want him to think that I was sending him somewhere he didn't want to go. Right. And I also didn't want him to think that I had more control over that situation than he thought I did. Right. Right. He just understood that somebody else had kind of made this schedule for him. Right. And then his dad did decide to sit him down and go through the entire court order with him when he was five, David. Oh, my gosh. Five, seven, eight, yeah. ten. <laughs> so Jackson came back quoting parts of the court order with his dad's interpretation of how I was in contempt. Oh, my gosh. That is so unfortunate. <laughs> yes, it is. So my son knows more than he ever should regarding the whole court system, but I think it's benefited him more than hurt him to have that understanding. Hmm. Has he ever seen a child therapist? Like, have you ever worked with a therapist? Yes. Yeah, because I it would be interesting to, you know, to get with a therapist and understand Because a lot of times, I mean, at least what I understand to happen is a lot of those kids like your son who've kind of been exposed to things, they take on this era or aura of being, you know, much more mature and understanding and like kind of seem more just mature, I guess. And then when they get older, like in that 16-ish range and older, they start having a lot of behavioral things because like their child needs were not met because they were kind of always put in that role of knowing too much and being asked to process things that they shouldn't process. And I mean, definitely, at least in my world of high conflict parenting and, and, you know, all the training I go to and things like if, if one parent were to sit down, like in a case I have and show a child what was in a court order, I mean, I would get that child into therapy and that child would be staying in therapy for like their whole childhood so that they could learn to advocate for themselves when the parents are bringing them into this and, you know, and really learn to tell the parents to stop so that the child can just be a child and not be in the middle. Right. Yeah. I, um, I didn't have to deal with that, but, you know, lucky for Jackson, he had me here to to ground him and balance that out. <laughs> you can't see it at least, but she's rolling her eyes at me. It is such a tough dynamic. And I mean, this is part of the, the thing when I said I, I made errors early on. I mean, I would try to explain things to my children. I thought I was like doing the right thing. And in retrospect, you know, I've come to really understand that that was not the right thing. Like, like I needed to just not say anything and let them Because, I mean, kids figure things out, you know, as they go on and they develop, but it is so much better for them to come to their own thoughts and ideas about what's happening or what parent is doing what or each parent's mental health stuff 
than to have it explained to them when they are developmentally just not able to really process it. And I think we parents forget how much it impacts their self-esteem because of them being half of each of us. And so if, if they're ever told that that other person is flawed, I mean, they might as well have been told that half of them is flawed. And so it's such a, it is such a fine line to walk. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's always tough decisions anytime you do that. And unfortunately, no matter what you choose to do, you'll, you'll often look back and always wonder, did you make the right decision? Oh my gosh. Do you not feel that way about all of parenting? Exactly. That's kind of the point I'm making is that as people are listening to this and you're going, oh man, I just listened to what she said and I screwed up. And I'm like, look, I don't think I did any of those things and I still feel like I screwed up a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh. I I feel like I have a laundry list of things and I'm like, whoopsie. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I, I told one of my kids not not long ago, maybe a year or so ago, I was like, I, I honestly feel like I did a decent job as a dad, but for the most part, I just felt like I was stumbling over myself and, and just just terribly uh, bad in a lot of areas. And, and my son was like, are you kidding me? Like, you are amazing. I talked to my kids and my friends who are kids and their parental situations and how their dad uh, treats them or, or doesn't hang out with them and do all these things. It's like, dude, you have no idea how good of a dad you are. And I'm like, wow, it's amazing. Well, it really is. And I think that's so cool that you were able to get some of that perspective because I think being a parent is the hardest job on the planet. And I think we all mess up like royally. I mean, like from the, the book, you know what I mean? Like if we were to know all the social science and tell us how we're supposed to do it all, I mean, we all are doing things wackadoodle all the time, oh, yeah. but it's like we do the best we can with the information we have. And I mean, kids throw some zingers, like kids will ask you something. And I mean, they need an answer like right then. There's no time for research. <laughs> and yeah. you have to kind of roll with what feels right and what aligns with your own values. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, you always see the anomalies where, the parents did everything right. Like it was immaculately done correctly. And the child turns out to be a serial killer. And then you got the other ones where they did everything absolutely wrong as it can possibly be. And they turn out to be some tremendous totally. asset to society. You know, you just never know. That's what's happening with your kids. That's exactly what's happening with my kids. Well, we can only hope the best for Jackson. <laughs> Well, that's what I say about my kids. I just hope the best. And I, you know, I just apologize as I go along when I'm like faced with right in my face, what I did wrong. I'm like, Oh, I guess I did that. And, and I'm like, sorry, guys did not know. Yeah. We always tell our kids, as soon as you have your own kids, you'll come back here and you go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for everything. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember after I moved out from living with my parents, I went back by there one day to, to hang out with my dad. Cause I always hung out with my dad. And I told him everything I had ever done wrong. <laughs> With 30 minutes in, he's like, please stop. Carrying 30 I'm years like, of guilt. I'm like, no, we're only at the sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, for the love of God, do not tell me anymore, Lori. Stop. But I did. I felt the need to tell him. Remember that time that I came home from school early and told you they had a pep rally? Well, that really wasn't the best description of what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
He's like, I thought you were a good kid. Oh, my god. I gosh. was. But see, here's the thing, though. My dad knew if he asked me anything, I would not lie to him. Right. There's Yeah, I skirted the truth many times. But with me divulging stuff, but if he flat out asked me, you know, did you skip school today? I'd be like, I did, Daddy. I did. I'm a horrible child. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But if I came home and he said, what are you doing home early? I'd be like, oh, they had some kind of pep rally thing at school. I wasn't lying. I just didn't tell him I didn't go all day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. For all you kids listening to this, do not follow my lead with that. That was horrible of me. I should have been doomed to hell. <laughs> I don't know why you think you're not. <laughs> David. <laughs> All right. So let's get off me talking about my um, wonderful idea. <laughs> so I want to ask you about how to cultivate the relationship between kids in a blended family. We have been fortunate that Jackson and David's kids, well, two, three of David's kids, two and a half of David's kids, <laughs> have a good relationship. But I do know families that the kids cannot stand each other, and the parents feel like they made the worst mistake getting married, and they're thinking about splitting up and living in different homes, and just because the 16- and 17-year-old can't get along, or just nobody likes anybody. Everybody's miserable. Yeah. I mean, for us, it was very, um, like, one, our kids knew each other before we got married because we lived down the street from each other. So we had this like they were friends, the two older, my two olders and Doug's two daughters were friends when they were young. So like they had this kind of jumping off point. So when we did come together, though, they were older, obviously. So it was different. I mean, they were teenagers and, you know, it looked really different. And we had to really navigate it by not forcing it. We took the approach. We love each other. We're getting married. Like the kids aren't going to be able to dictate that. We're going to be the adults in this. We're going to live where we live and do what we do. But we did not force the kids into all this like stuff. Like if we went to a birthday dinner for one, we were not like every, all six of you must come and no questions asked. Like that was not... We literally had the opposite approach. We were like, oh, we're making a reservation for so-and-so's birthday dinner. Who wants to join us or who's coming? And I mean, we had times where not everyone came for things. Like there would be rubs about things or just not feeling like they all wanted to be there. And that was fine. Like, I mean, nobody said anything about that. Like there was no, I didn't get the sense there was hard feelings about that. It was just part of our our thing. And, and we've been really, I think, open about that. And now I find they're much, you know, more inclined to do things together and reach out to each other. And um, I mean, we've had, you know, times where like we had Doug's oldest daughter, one time we were out of town, and I was missing a parent teacher conference for my youngest. And so Doug's oldest daughter went to the parent teacher conference as like, you know, the parent, because she's, 11 years older. And so, and it was pretty cute because, you know, she got to kind of learn about her, her little stepbrother and how he did in school. And I mean, she was so proud of herself and she like told us all the things we needed to know. And, and we tried to create things like that, that kind of helped them bond. Mm -hmm. And so, but like on a very individual basis, not so much like as a group, 
like my youngest also um, took climbing, whereas Doug's youngest daughter is like a international rock climber kind of person. And so she, she would drive Ethan out to climbing lessons and do that. And so we tried to create just opportunities for them to connect, but that weren't super like high pressure things. I mean, and I think that that helped us a lot by not forcing it, by allowing them to have some space to say no. Right. And that's perfect. And we cannot say that enough with the relationships with the step parent and the step kids. Oh, yeah. And with between the step kids and the bio kids or the hours kids and the step kids. I mean, any part of the blend, you have to let it form without forcing it. Oh, completely. I mean, 100%. I mean, I think parents, I mean, this is something I deal with a lot how it is. I mean, you just, you're like, find this new partner. You're all in love. You know, it's all this like cutesy tootsy stuff and everything's all, all lovely. And the kids are over there just puking. They're like, what? They're not excited about all this. They don't have all this like love in their hearts about all this. They're just like, oh my gosh. I mean, they might've just gone through the divorce depending on when people get together. And I mean, they've got a lot on their plates. And I think we adults just like fail our kids when we don't appreciate the disruption we're causing. And I think when we do appreciate the disruption, then we're like, whoa, this is a big deal. I mean, I need to give this kid some space, some time to be angry. Some grace. Yeah. I mean, when parents get their nose all out of joint, they're like, well, my kid is so mad at me. I'm like, well, duh, of course your kid is mad at you. And I'm like, and they're perfectly within their right to be mad. Like it's a perfectly reasonable emotion for a kid to be pissed that their parents got divorced and then that their parent is now remarrying and expecting them to be all thrilled with this new life and this new home and all that. And you don't know what they're hearing at the other house. Exactly. I can tell you what they're hearing. It's the other person's fault. <laughs> I mean, they they should be angry. I mean, that's a perfectly reasonable response. And I mean, I tell parents all the time when they're getting divorced, I'm like, you need to get into counseling with your child. If you cannot have those conversations productively on your own, you've got to get into counseling where your kid can be pissed at you safely. I mean, your kid has got to be able to tell you all the things they think. and. I mean, until they can work through that, I mean, there's going to be all kinds of issues. Mm -hmm. Well, this is one of those areas where parents need to understand that often they're not necessarily pissed at them as a person. They're pissed at the situation. Right. And the same thing with the stepmom. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, you know, giving them kind of that guidance to, to say, look, it's the situation that sucks and that you're mad at. Let's figure out how we're going to navigate that in a healthy way. And then, you know, my experience has been that the relationship improves because then the child understands that you are there for them. You do understand and you're trying to get to a better place. Right. Exactly. Well, and sometimes the kids are, though, pissed at the parent. Like, let's say a parent had an affair and the kid knows this. Mm -hmm. I mean, that child is going to be angry at that parent for what they did. And rightfully so. Like, it's almost abnormal for the child to not be upset if they know. And the parent has to be able to own that. And parents who cannot own their fault in the breakup of the marriage, if the child knows about it, you're just, it's never going to work. 
Because mm-hmm. the kid sees through that all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I interview hundreds of kids. And <laughs> I can tell you, kids see through things <laughs> very well. And kids just tell me, they're like, yeah, you know, my mom did this and, you know, it broke up our whole family. And I mean, any one of thing, I mean, it can be like my mom's an alcoholic and, you know, she gets drunk and she's always mean. And I don't blame my dad for leaving. Like I would have left too. You know, it's hard to live like that. That mom needs to hear that from that child. I'm not saying it's going to be easy or that there might not be other issues. I don't mean that at all. But I mean, that child has seen something with their their own eyes and they need to be able to express that in a way that they can get resolution. And what would you say to the parents that their children refuse to go to counseling or therapy where the parent says, okay, we're going to go and we're going to talk about some things. And they're like, no, I'm not going. I mean, yeah, back in the day when I was growing up, you could beat them and throw them in the car and make them go, but that it doesn't work that way any longer. No, definitely not. Um, I mean, I generally recommend that whichever parent is aligned or kind of got the better rapport with the child you kind of get that parent on board to at least get the child to agree to a small number of of counseling sessions. I mean, I've had a few kids over the years refuse altogether, but I mean, for the most part, we can get a child, I find, to go. Now, to be fair, I've had some children go and they've agreed, okay, I'll do five sessions, but they literally don't say a word in those sessions. And, but fair enough. I mean, they went. They didn't take advantage of it. But in my mind, we all tried. The child did their part. The parent did their part. The counselor did their part. And we kind of just have to wait that kid out. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I don't think you can force it. And But I do think anything that you can do to encourage it, because most children, I think, really do benefit from having an objective, just somebody who doesn't have a, a dog in this race and who can listen to them, I mean, really helps normalize their emotions. Because I think oftentimes, no matter how sane we parents think we're being, we're still not really fully seeing what the kid is seeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even when you can see it, you're not experiencing what they're experiencing. So they have a different reality. Absolutely. Well, and I think understanding their developmental stages and what their brains can actually comprehend I mean, you've got to really understand psychology and developmental psychology to really get how these things are impacting them from moving from developmental stage to developmental stage. Because we sometimes, these things are happening at a point that it stunts their development because they're not able to kind of go into that next phase on solid ground because of something's happened in the last developmental stage. Right. Right. And struggling step-parents have a difficult time seeing what the stepkids are going through. Oh, yeah. Or their bio kids if they were relocated. Just everybody. Right. So, and that was one of the hardest things for me. In hindsight, I didn't care what those kids were going through because my pain outweighed everything. Right. They were making me miserable. It was their fault. Just, I couldn't see their struggles past my own. Right. Well, and I think that for me, that when I mentioned that book, The Step Family Handbook, Literally, I think every single one of us who gets divorced and who gets involved in another relationship needs to read it because it so helps you understand that piece. 
and really understand what are the emotions going on around you. Because I think what you just said is so common where you're in so much pain, you're dealing with your own stuff, with your own ex, with your own child. Like, how are you actually supposed to figure out what is going on around you? Yeah, we're going to come up with a divorce kit and it's going to be that book that you mentioned, the Nacho Kids pamphlet with the month to the Nacho Kids Academy. A pound of chocolate and a bunch of coffee. I'd throw in some Washington wine. I mean, something. And a Bible. Yeah. There, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's hey, all kind of stuff we could do that look, in there. I just, we just got a great idea, y'all. A divorce care package. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We can put it on a monthly subscription. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. Um, Elise, how did you stumble across the, the Nacho Kids podcast or the Academy? Because you don't... You don't sound like somebody who was out looking for help. So kind of curious there. I think, yeah, what my first, I feel like it was, um, I was told about it by somebody, an attorney that I'm friends with in Alabama. I would have to go back and look though, to tell you exactly. But I think it was, I think it was an attorney in Alabama. We were talking about, cause I've been talking about doing something with this co-CEOs. And I think that she mentioned you all and she was like, you know, it's similar. She's like, but it's all about blended families. Mm-hmm. And so then I sought you all out because I was super curious because there's not a lot out there about blended families and the dynamics of blended families and just kind of the pitfalls and <laughs> all the minefields of, mm-hmm. of the blending part. And I, I know when my, my friend Karen wrote her book, the step family handbook. I want to say that came out maybe like October, 2018. So it's pretty recent. And it, I mean, I just couldn't get it into enough people's hands, you know, people that I was working with because it's a constant just battle cry about, well, this is what's happening in the other house. And this is what's, and I'm like, y'all both need to really sit down and figure out what's going on in each house fully before we start pointing fingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to get us in touch with Karen and get her to be a guest on our podcast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You would love that. She is such a wealth of knowledge. Sweet. Well, let me ask you this before we let you go. When you heard about Nacho Kids and you looked it up, did you think it was something horrible? Oh, no. Not at all. Because a lot of people, it's, um, what's the word, David? Help me out. I don't know. A, A lot of people have some misconceptions about what it is. They think it's being mean to the stepkids and hateful and the, oh, I'm not changing his dirty clothes because I'm not his mama. That's your job. Yeah. Well, they say things like, you know, not my kid, you know, not my problem. And we often tell people, no, it's, it is partly your problem. It's just not your responsibility. Exactly. And so you want to shift that responsibility away from you so that the problem does start to go away. But it is definitely your problem that you're having to deal with. Yeah. And the whole nacho phrase has it kind of a bad rap with some people, but I think those are the people that just haven't met the blended challenges yet. <laughs> yeah. I don't agree with nacho For the kids. most part. How long have you been married? Uh, two years. Okay. <laughs> and how often do you have your kids? Oh, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't have any of the same stressors, yeah. but there again, you know, we often say it's what we're, what we're teaching and advocating is not a silver bullet. There's no one way to do anything. Well, no, but I I do think that there's a lot out there about getting the step parent out 
of the middle of the mix because mm-hmm. we don't belong in the middle of the mix. Yep. Take that target off your back. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, and I think that, I mean, I see it all the time where somebody is in that middle and they do not mean to be causing problems, but if they would just step away, so much of the problem would melt away. Right. And they really, the majority of them have good intentions. They want little Johnny to eat his broccoli. They want him to make A's in school. His organic broccoli. Yeah. They want him to go to bed at 7.30 at night so he gets a good night's rest for the next day. And they want him to have chores that are age appropriate so he'll grow up to be a responsible, outstanding young man in the community. That's what we all want. But we ain't the mama. Right. Exactly. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, at least it's been great having you on and and uh, hats off to you for for doing the work you're doing, because you're not just out there saying, hey, great, let's let's go to court and let's send you an invoice. I mean, you're trying to to make changes. And that's that's something that's different. And the more people, the more professionals that are out there really kind of sounding the alarm and, and saying, look, there's a there's a better way to do this blend thing. And there are things that, have, that prove to work. And, uh, you know, here's what they are. And here's the resources. So thanks for doing that. And Elise, I'd like to have you back um, in the near future so we can talk about what parents need to make sure is listed in their court order. Oh, that would be an interesting one. Yes, (laughs) because I've learned the hard way. I know many people have. And it's one of those things you pay all this money and then you realize, oh, they left this one thing out or I didn't think about this one thing. So if you would like to be a guest and talk about that in the near future, that would be great. Awesome. I would love to. Well, and I really appreciate talking to y'all today, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Before we let you go, we do want everybody to know how to get in touch with you. If she they, might not want people getting in touch with her. Well, then again, she might. They might be in the Washington she's, area. She's going to have people calling her from South Carolina going, I got a question. No, no, not that kind of get in touch. <laughs> If you live in her area and you can take advantage of her services, <laughs> how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, well, I mean, we have, you know, a website. It's just elisebuiefamilylaw.com. And, um, and yeah, and so you could probably just put that maybe in the notes or something. I will. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I appreciate it. All right, good deal. Well, thanks a lot again, Elise, and uh, a great conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice talking to y'all. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Elise. David, Mm -hmm. are you ready to behave? Uh, No, but continue on. Well, let's just wrap it up. (laughs) Say your goodbyes, David. No. Yes. We have to finish this out gracefully. It's finished gracefully. Darling. Don't darling me. (laughs) Honey. Don't honey me. Sweetheart. Don't sweetheart me. Sugar bear, sugar lump. <laughs> sugar lump? <laughs> you better wrap this up quick. Sugar, sugar pie. David. Gummy bear. David. Tootsie roll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, y'all. That's our show for today. Join us next week when we talk to another amazing interview person. <laughs> Stay plus marshmallow man. David is about to die. <laughs> oh, they got you know what? I bet you they got to sell on peeps now. This after Easter, you should go buy some peeps. That way you can be chilling with your peeps. Oh my gosh! <laughs> All right. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. That is our show for today. Join us again next Friday when uh, you never know what Lori's going to say. 
Yeah. <laughs> More like you never know what David's going to say. Uh, that's true. I uh-huh. apologize for his misbehavior today. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks again. And join us next week, as I already said. And remember, life is good. When you nacho your husband. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.